Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Pride going before destruction. Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to episode number 21. This is Apostasy Part 9, Christian Science. I didn't know much about this, uh, you know, as I was digging through what should I do next. And I probably won't get to everything. (laughs) I would encourage you to, uh, you know, to research yourself. But uh, I felt like this was an important one. And so... um, Yeah, that'll be the topic of the day. Um, It's been a long time. Uh, Seems like my the the amount of time or the uh, uh, occurrences of these podcasts have been less often. I've just been so busy. Um, I hired somebody to clean pools for me. He quit after a few weeks, Um, and so I have to do everything myself. And uh, I'm kind of at that point where I'm maxed out, and it's hard for me to grow, but I'm trying to do the best I can. So um, that's kind of my life right now, Um, but I've kind of been putting this on paper, so I'm going to just start and maybe take several days to put this together, but here I am. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about Kevin Max. He's a singer-songwriter. Um, in the 90s, there was this, one of the most popular bands was DC Talk, and it was one of my favorite bands. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, Kevin Max a little bit, but going back to John Todd, which uh, I'll get more into John Todd later. Um, but John Todd had this... Uh, well, he talked a lot in the 70s. There were some recordings you can find of him. Um, and he claimed to have come out of the Illuminati and became a Christian. And whether or not he was, you know, legit or not, I don't know. I've never met the guy. But uh, I think it is um, an interesting listen. Um, but one of his claims was that the music industry will only hire pe- uh, people that are that have sold that will sell sell their souls to the devil or something. Um, now I I don't necessarily think that this is everybody. If this is the case, I think that definitely the ones that they push the most in the media and gets the most publicity are probably sold out. <laughs> um, but there's definitely, we'll probably get more into music industry and entertainment uh, stuff in the future of this podcast. There's so much to talk about in that. Um, but what I wanted to talk about t- uh, today was is pretty recent, but I wanted to give some background. So John Todd talked about um, the music industry and um, how he used to 
you know, I guess he worked directly with a lot of the high-level musicians back in the 60s and um, how they would put spells on these things. And then he even mentioned what he called Jesus rock, I guess Christian rock, that apparently the Christian rock industry was also um, controlled and um, created by the Illuminati. Um, and something that I've noted... Now, first of all, I want to say this. I think that there are legit Christian, godly people in the music industry, in the Christian music industry, um, and, you know, that are not sold out. Um, I think that, generally speaking, there might be a lot of talented people that have been signed because um, these companies need to make money, so they, you know, sometimes... Now, they don't necessarily give them a push, but they might give them an opportunity. Um, so I don't know. I'm not here to judge any particular group. In fact, I have a cousin that's in the music industry. He's in a pretty popular Christian band called The Afters. And um, I would like to believe, and I, you know, that they are sincere, um, true believers so I'm not going to suggest that they've sold their soul to the devil um, but I can't prove that they haven't either but I, I know them and I trust them <laughs> and I hope that's the case um, so I do believe that there are people you know out there that are singing for the Lord and all that stuff but um as far as the industry itself, and as far as the ones that get the biggest pushes in the industry, um, it wouldn't surprise me that, because um, we know, um, you know, here we are talking in a series about apostasy, and that is how Satan infiltrates churches and causes deception within churches. So it doesn't surprise me that this element exists in the music industry as well. Um and so, anyway, we'll probably get more into that when I do some John Todd stuff. But um, fast forward to DC Talk. DC Talk, one of the biggest Christian groups ever. And one of my favorite in the 90s. And uh, I still enjoy uh, Jesus Freak and um, Supernatural. Their last two albums I, I really enjoyed. Um, the most popular when they split up, they all went solo. And the most popular was Toby McKeon. And I think he's still a pretty big deal now. He's kind of like the Justin Timberlake of Christian music, I guess. Um, I'm not a huge Toby Mac fan as far as his music is concerned. It's it's poppy. There's some good songs that, uh, you know, that I think are pretty catchy. Like early on, it, the song Extreme Days. And there might be a few others. Um, but... Um, one thing I noticed, um, I don't remember when this came out. I didn't. I don't think I ever bought it, but there was an album called Eye on It by Toby Mac. And one of the songs in the album is called Ill Am I, Illuminati Coming Through. And I was thinking, that's strange. And it's almost like a positive thing. It doesn't, it's not like an anti-Illuminati song. And I think it's a cover song um, by some pop artist um now in and of itself if if toby is sincerely you know unaware of 
or doesn't believe in a conspiracy uh, or any organization called the Illuminati. Um, I can believe that. But the fact that uh, the cover, the front cover, had an eye on the front cover, and it's called Eye on It, and he came up with that, seems like a little bit more than just a coincidence. Now, I don't want to just jump to a conclusion here, but I did think that was kind of strange, and it made me think of um, what John Todd was saying and how big Toby Mac is and how big DC Talk is. They got definitely plenty of publicity and pushed to the forefront. Um, next, I would like to mention that I've heard their testimonies. And one of the things that I begin to realize when celebrities give their testimonies, um, oftentimes, um, as I've gotten, you know, more mature and wise, I guess you could say, I still have a lot of maturing to do. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to call myself wise. But I've noticed that a lot of um, testimonies by celebrities are very, there's no gospel in it. And um, now I'm very skeptical when I hear a, you know, celebrities giving their testimony and there's nothing, it's like, oh, God made my life better or um, he got me out of drugs or, you know, all that's fine and good. But um, it's be, it makes me wonder, like, because I know that there's the fake Christianity and the celebrity version of Christianity that's not legitimate. But there are legitimate celebrities that probably are Christians, too. Um, but I noticed when DC Talk gave their testimonies, when I listened to them, I did not hear the gospel. Um, it doesn't mean that they didn't share it in other places. But when you're giving your testimony to me, when it's called a testimony... An important part of that is the gospel, because what are you giving a testimony of? How you became a Christian, I would assume, right? So it just seemed odd to me that um, that they didn't that the gospel was not a part of it, and um, so that gave, that was another thing about about it. Now, recently, just a couple of months ago, Kevin Max. Now, let me say this about Kevin Max. When they split to solo, Kevin was my favorite, artistically speaking, musically. Um, in fact, going back to the late DC Talk days, um, the l later albums, uh, Kevin had a couple of poetry songs that had kind of this avant-garde music in the background where he would speak poetry. And I was most excited about his solo albums. And he has a lot of them. He has just as many solo albums as Toby, except he's more independent. Uh, he's not as popular. Um, you know, Michael only had one, I think. Maybe, I don't know how many, but um, I did hear his first one. It was all right. It was just straight up rock music. But Kevin was the most artistic and, um, you know... So, but his music was not overtly Christian, which, you know, I don't have an issue with that. Um, in fact, some of my favorite Christian, quote unquote, and again, I say quote unquote because I don't really know. They call themselves. But it's like Danielson family and um, what is it called? Uh, Sufjan Stevens or um, 
cl half-handed cloud. <laughs> These are very avant-garde um, musicians that consider themselves to be Christian, and there are some Christian lyrics or biblical lyrics in them, um, but oftentimes they're just kind of um, poetic things about life and stuff, which um, is fine. Um, and that's what a lot of Kevin Mack stuff was. Now, in a recent tweet, and that's what I'm getting to, that's why I'm bringing this up, but I wanted to give all that background first. He said something about, um, oh, maybe I should read it rather than just kind of <laughs> summarize it, but uh, he says, Hello, my name is Kevin Max, and I'm an ex-vangelical. And it's, I guess, hashtagged. Um, that's like formally evangelical, I guess. Ex-vangelical. Um, and then later he put, um, he added this. I've been deconstructing, reconstructing, progressing. You wish to call it for decades. I've been in the outsider misfit seeker club for a long time now. Thank you for welcoming me in, but I've always been been here, he said. Um, now, the word deconstruct is a common word right now uh, in terms of moving into, you know, it uses the word progressing, you know. Uh, deconstruct is kind of a word being used for those who are leaving the um, fundamental Christian side of things. In, in the church um, and progressing is a word you know progress or progressive Christianity is kind of like liberal Christianity there's all these names you know um, and it's that's why you know they're constantly changing the word so that people get confused <laughs> so like postmodern Christianity and then you had um, progressive Christianity the emerging church the emergent church, deconstructionism, ex-evangelical, you know. Um, and so these are all similar things. And then in a later tweet, he talks about the universal Christ, which is kind of another new age term. And, uh, and then in one of his songs, um, recently he talks about how these words that were men wrote down is somehow not like I think he's you know it seems pretty obvious and maybe he didn't mean it that way um, that he was referring to the Bible um, in a negative light as if it's not inerrant um, of course you know maybe he doesn't believe that the Bible is inerrant I'm not sure um, and the universal Christ, which is a new age term. And so it just seems like he's going the wrong direction. And I hope that he, he searches and finds the answer. Cause I've been there, you know, I've been there where I was searching, where I questioned everything. And I actually, you know, found that there's a lot of good evidence for the Bible, which is what this podcast is all about, and other things. Um, but it seems that maybe, you know, the kinds of things he tweets, that he's pro-choice, 
he's for gay marriage, uh, you know, all that stuff. It seems that he's leaving, he, he, he doesn't consider the Bible as an errant or God's inspired word, yet he still says he's a Jesus freak, he still calls himself a Christian, so um, who knows where he'll end up with this, you know, he might um, be sincerely seeking and, and come back around, um, but we'll see, you know, I have family members, I have a brother in the sim similar, thinking things the same way right now, and um, at, um, at one point he s was saying, using similar term to Kevin Max, and then the next time I saw him, which he lives in, he's lived in Mexico, so I don't see him a lot, but when I saw him again, he's basically called himself an agnostic. So, once you get to the where the Bible is no longer inerrant and no longer considered God's word, then the next step is agnosticism. And so, unfortunately, I think that's the it seems that that might be the direction Kevin is going. But at this point, he still considers himself a Christian. He still considers himself a Jesus freak, you know. Um, so that that was just some things I had to think about or wanted to talk about uh, first in this episode. But um, well, anyway, let's get on to a funny bit before we move on to our main topic. You know what, son? What? In my days, I wasn't as crazy as you. Because in my days, we didn't have anything to be crazy with. Why not, Pop? Because in my... I don't know why, son. Just one of those things. But why was it in your days and not mine? Because in... Son, stop <laughs> asking those stupid questions. I can't answer them. But, Pop... Son, nobody in my days talked like that. In fact, we took <coughs> off our hats and... Uh, where was I? Uh, uh oh yeah. Well, son, we gotta go to church now, so hurry up and get ready. Okay, I'm already in the car, though. So am I, son. What are we waiting for? Let's <laughs> okay. go. Everything about car, son. Just let me go check it out. Oh, I know what's wrong with the pup. What? It's out of gas. No, that's not the problem, son. The problem is, the it's out of gas. Let's go pump it up with some gasoline. Okay, son. So I'm gonna pump some gas into the thing. I'm sorry, son, but I can't hear you. Why don't you just let some gas out of your own tank? <laughs> what do you mean, let some gas out of my tank? Put on your pants. <laughs> son. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea, son. Let's go. I think I solved the problem. 
Won't start, son. Here, you try it. Ow! That hurt. It was the other guy's fault. No, it was your fault, Dad. Oh, yeah. I'll teach that guy. He just punched me. He just punched me again. He just punched me again. Did you start a fight with him? Son, you take over. He just okay, beat me. Okay, some gas on his face. He's history. Let's go. Thanks, okay. son. Okay, son, I'm going to teach you how to park. You take the gas pedal and you start to release. And then you barely push on the brake. And you try to stop before you hit a wall or something. <laughs> Ouch! Pop, I think you better let me drive. Son, you don't have your license yet. You're not even three yet. I'm only one and a half! And that was another funny bit, or just a bit. I don't know, maybe it's not that funny. From my younger days, I guess I might have been close to 20. <laughs> And my younger brother, who was, you know, maybe preteen still. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, anyway, just a time filler. So moving right along, um, we're talking about Christian science today. And um, what I'd like to do is start with reading some from Walter Martin's book called the Kingdom of the Cults, and I think Walter Martin is uh, really good. Um, you can find some of his stuff on YouTube as well, and he's got some, you know, good books. Um, but I would like to get a little bit on the background. Historical perspective. For decades, Christian science was the matriarch of the mind science family, with a large and growing membership, secular and religious respect, and great wealth, the Mother Church dominated the mind science movement, more important in almost all respects than unity of Christianity, mind science, religious science, divine science, and their other siblings. However, during the 1960s, a trend became apparent. Christian science was losing members and income at a steady and significant rate. By the mid-70s, Christian science members and even the public media were aware that the decline was long-term and steady. Since the mid-1980s, it was solidified in public, uh, or solidified its public image as a benign Christian denomination of thoughtful, spiritually mature people who enjoy a rather intellectual, quiet faith. This faith gives them peace with God without any of the unappealing aspects of traditional Christianity, such as the existence of hell, the doctrine of the Trinity, or the incarnation, resurrection, and atonement of Jesus Christ. The next couple of decades will tell whether Christian science will be able to survive. Its forces are much diminished from what they once were. 
Only time will tell if the small core of faithful members will endure and spur growth in excess of attrition. Yet, even now, the Christian science cult is a powerful force with which evangelical Christians everywhere must deal. We shall examine its roots, founder growth and controversies, and contrasts its teachings with the clear word of Scripture. Marianne Morse Baker, better known among the uh, band of faithful Christian scientists as Mary Baker Eddy, mother and leader, the discoverer and founder of Christian Science. She was born in Bow, New York, or, sorry, Bow, New Hampshire, in the year 1821, in the humble surroundings of a New Hampshire farmhouse, and reared a strict Congregationalist by her parents, Mark and Abigail Baker. The life of young Mary Baker until her 22nd year was marked with frequent illness of both emotional and physical nature, and then infant sci science of mesmerism was often applied to her case with some success. In December of 1843, at the age of 22, the future Mrs. Eddy was married to George W. Glover, a neighboring businessman whose untimely death of yellow fever in William, William, Wilmington, South Carolina, some seven months later, reduced his pregnant wife to an emotional and highly unstable invalid uh, who throughout the remaining years of her life, relied from time to time upon the drug morphine as a medication. To be sure, no informed person believes that Mrs. Eddy was a dope addict, but much evidence from incontrovertible sources is available to show beyond doubt that throughout her life Mrs. Eddy made repeated use of this drug. After a brief and disastrous second marriage, Mary Baker Glover Patterson married Asa G. Eddy when Mrs. Eddy was 15 years of age. Asa Eddy, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that, A-S-A, Asa Eddy's death of contra contrary uh, thrombosis prompted Mrs. Mrs. Eddy to commit nearly fatal uh, a nearly fatal mistake when where Christian Science was concerned. She contested the autopsy report, and the physician she chose confirmed her conviction that Asa Eddy died of arsenic poisoning, mentally administered. Such a radical report prompted an inquiry into the credentials of Mrs. Eddy's physician, Dr. C.J. Eastman, dean of the Bellevue Medical College outside Boston. It was found that Dr. Eastman, uh, quote-unquote Dr. Eastman, was running a, virtually a, a virtual abortion mill and had no medical credentials what's, whatever to justify his title. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison upon his conviction, and the Bellevue Medical College closed. Mrs. Eddy had contradicted her own 
advice concerning autopsies, and she would have been far better off to have practiced in this instance uh, what she preached and to have abandoned Asa's remains to the scrap heap of mental malpractice. But the error was virtually unavoidable since Mrs. Eddy was not to be outdone by any medical doctor. She was an expert healer. By her own admissions, the autopsy was therefore inevitable. Mrs. Eddy's letter to the Boston Post dated June 5th, 1882, in which she accused some of her former students of mentally poisoning Asa Eddy with malicious mesmerism in the form of arsenic mentally administered is one of the most pathetic examples of Mrs. Eddy's mental state ever recorded and one which the Christian Science Church would like to forget she ever wrote. The real history of Christian science, however, cannot be told unless one P.P. P. Quimby of Portland, Maine be considered, for history tells us that as Mrs. Eddy was the mother of Christian science, so Phineas Parkhurst Quimby was undoubtedly its father. Dr. Quimby, in the late 1850s, entitled his system of mental healing the science of man and used the terms the science of Christ and Christian science for some time before Mrs. Eddy gratuitously appropriated the terminology as her own, something she dared not do while the old gentleman was alive in a relationship to him known to all. Mrs. Eddy's relationship to Dr. Quimby began when she arrived in Portland, Maine in 1862 and committed herself to his care for treatment of spinal inflammation. In November of that same year, Mrs. Eddy's noise abroad to all men that P.P. P. Quimby had healed her of her infirmity, said that said the then adoring disciple of Quimby, quote, I visited P.P. P. Quimby and in less than one week from that time I ascended by a stairway of 182 steps to the dome of the city hall and um, improving ad infinitum, unquote. In later years, Mrs. Eddy's recollection of Quimby was somewhat different from her earlier echoes of praise, and she did not hesitate to describe him as a very unlearned man, etc. Dr. Quimby uh, termed his ideas science of health. Um, there's more here, but I would encourage you to get this book once again, Walter Martin's The Kingdom of the Cults. And so now what I would like to do is we'll listen to some audio of somebody else that might be a little more interesting than listening to me. This is from audio from a, a YouTube channel called Apologia Studios. And if you look for um, a playlist called Cultish, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And there's two videos on what is Christian science. So, uh, here's some audio from that. And we are here with Tanner Johnsrud, and uh, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well. How are you? 
Good, man. Good. So we're excited to have you on. And you had reached out to us a couple of months ago, and I'm glad we finally got to connect. So let's just jump into it. Uh, a lot of people have messaged us and, has, and have wanted to talk about Christian Science, Mary Baker Eddy, and I'm excited. I feel like, Andrew, both of us are just going to be fly, flies in the wall here because mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm truly honest, we both you and I don't really know a whole lot about uh, Christian science. We know it's one of the cults in the category. Uh, Walter Martin here put in his uh, volume. This is the sixth volume, by the way, that just came out, A Kingdom of the Cults. So he has a big section in uh, there on Christian science. But let's just uh, jump into it. Exp- you, uh, just talk a little bit, Tanner, just about your background, how um, you said you, you're you from, your family is fifth generation. Just tell us a little bit just about what it was like being in Christian science and where it, all, where it really all started for you. Sure. So, um, like you said, my family uh, was fifth generation Christian scientist. Uh, I have a, a niece of sixth generation. Um, mm. And... Um, so Christian science goes back in my family pretty much back to the days of the beginning. Uh, my grandmother's teacher, most uh, uh, Christian science teacher, was taught by Mary Bigretti. And um, uh, Christian science is, is what I grew up with. I went to preschools, uh, to a preschool, a middle school, and a boarding school and high school um, for Christian scientists. And every summer, I went to summer camp for Christian scientists. So that was the world that I, uh, that I lived and breathed. Mm. And, um, and Christian science was, was all that I knew. Um, and, uh, for me, I, uh, when I was in, uh, college, I had what's called Christian science class instruction which uh, is a training preparation to become what's called a Christian science practitioner, mm-hmm. which is a, a healer in, in the Christian science mm-hmm. uh, religion. And so I, uh, the day I graduated from college, I began full-time as a Christian science practitioner. Mm. And, um, and I did that for over 15 years. Mm. Uh, almost 10 of which I lived in Boston, which is where the world headquarters so Christian science is. And did that for almost 15 years until the day that my wife and I both came to faith in Christ. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so uh, for me, uh, growing up in, in Christian science, we always heard the uh, the jokes. Okay, you you don't believe in doctors. Um, uh, you know what would you do if? And you know somebody wrote in my yearbook like three pages of a long joking scenario. You know what would you do if this horrible thing happened to you? Would you still pray? You know. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just absolutely convinced that Christian Science was true. That that Christian Science was the real meaning of the Bible. Uh, and, and for so many of us uh, who are in Christian science, we don't really have exposure 
I mean, you have friends who are not Christian scientists, but you don't really have exposure to um, to biblical Christianity. Mm. And uh, and the way that you, uh, you just go through through your life, it, you assume that this is what the Bible teaches. That this is what um, that this is what is true, and it's, it's unimaginable uh, that it could could be wrong. Yeah, it's like the ultimate point of reference. There's not really anything else in which like to contrast it by. As right. in, like for example, like this volume here. I mean, Walter Martin goes over a lot of the teachings of Mary Baker Eddy. We'll jump into maybe to some of the theology and her worldviews. With any contrast that with Scripture, and like one of the best best ways for us to learn as Christians is to take a look at these different cults, these unbelieving worldviews, and contrast that with what the Bible says. But with you, when you're just, and we always talk about this, when you grow up in an infrastructure where you're only taught that one way is the only way, just with our series we did on Jehovah's Witnesses, mm-hmm. and you're taught to believe the way the Watchtower says to believe, that just, you just assume that without without really second-guessing anything. Oh, sure, absolutely. Um, you you assume it, and it's, it's what your parents have, have believed, and your grandparents, and your great-grandparents, um, it, it's just, it, it's unimaginable mm-hmm. that there could be uh, any other way. Yeah. Uh, I, obviously, you know everybody else in the world uh, doesn't believe the way you believe, but they're all wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so it, you mentioned talking about the Christian science worldview, and I, I think kind of the best way to get a glimpse of, of Christian science is to compare it with the, the Christian worldview. So I just wanted to kind of look at um, the Christian worldview in terms of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, and compare that with how Christian science uh, views these things. So in Christianity, there's a good, a good Trinitarian God who's created everything in the world, and he calls it good. Mm-hmm. And this is described in Genesis 1 and 2. And this creation, this is the creation that we see and experience every day. Yeah, this is the world that God has made. Um, and, and, and the world as God initially made it in Genesis 1 and 2, dwell in perfect peace and joy in the presence of God. Now, in Christian science, God did not make the material world. Mm. The material world isn't real. Only Genesis 1 is true, and Genesis 2 is a myth. And, uh, and pretty much everything that speaks of God as Lord, or uh, speaks of Jehovah, Jehovah is, uh, is not the true God. Uh, the true God is Elohim in Genesis 1. Okay. And Genesis 2 is a counterfeit god. Well, so just real quickly, so it would be different from Gnosticism in the sense that Gnosticism believes that there is the material, but the material is bad, and it's like, and it's evil, and and, they, and therefore they always interpreted the, who Christ was, and they, it was a, the whole idea of the incarnation, of who Jesus was, was a stumbling block for people who are Gnostics, especially even in the first century, those you know, those who do not believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. But in this sense, what you're saying is that Christian science then would believe that there's really, there's nothing material. So right, in a sense, right. like right now, we're recording on a set. We've got 
We're here, uh, our flesh and bone bodies. We've got Walter Martin's King of the Colts book made out of uh, paper. Uh, we've got all our microphones and all our setup here. So all this material that we are looking at, that's we would say it's tangible to them. That would be that's all an illusion in our minds. Or what would be the Christian mind? What's how would you say like a, a Christian science person view just the nature of reality in the, in the material world? Is that sure. all? That's an illusion. It sounds almost like it's Buddhist in a sense. Um, you know the. There are a lot of similarities and a lot of similarities with Gnosticism, though mm-hmm. Christian scientists would deny both of that, those statements. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that you see is a counterfeit of a true spiritual idea that exists in the mind of God. Uh, you and, and me and, and the, the trees outside, um, these are all spiritual ideas uh, in the divine mind, in, in the mind of God. And the material world is a counterfeit of that. So I'm going to pause it there. But um, as you can tell, it sounds, you know, like in a sense, well, not completely, but Eastern Orthodoxy, which is very mystic as well. And so you can tell uh, as he's started discussing this, that there's some similarities to Buddhism and even Gnosticism but also some differences. And uh, so I think the song that I'm going to play here for the music uh, bit is, uh, I think, a good fit because it's called Abstract Reality by a Christian rap group called ETW, which stands for End Time Warriors. Cause they was males I watched the mother throw a baby in a garbage pail 
Jeffrey Dahmer's got the cure for the economy Spit it around, Pete, and say some dark meat for the streets Cripple brothers dripping blood Folks and cuz, what is, was You warring with your love, cuz Another baby flies through a glass window Abortion crescendos, I don't know who's in sin, no Is it the murderer, the hooker, or the preacher? The teacher, the deeder, is it simply what they teach you? I think Marvin said it best Right before his Pentecostal pop shot his chest What's going on? It ain't funny no more My head is sore I walk the floor, yo, there's too many wars America the beautiful, the land of the free The richest nation in the world And tell me why there's so much poverty Got the nation on her knees Yet we'll send 20 billion dollars overseas Please I wanna know what to tell Mr. Relis On the corner with a college degree Trying to eat Abstract reality, it's a formality to some To some, it's just their reality If your reality is abstract, son I suggest you bail and get yourself another one Abstract reality, it's a formality to some To some, it's just their reality If your reality is abstract, son I suggest you bail and get yourself another one Psychological, socio-ghettopathic Abstract realities are getting real graphic Once again, that's ETW, a Christian rap group. Check them out. And uh, you can find them on Spotify and iTunes and YouTube. Um, I think they're still on YouTube. I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, they're on YouTube. Um, check them out. So I'll, I'll try to leave a, a link as well. Um, all right, so let's continue um, with this testimony from this guy, and I forget his name now. And I'll also leave a link for this uh, video as well. In Christian science, uh, God is referred to as father-mother. They see God as both father and mother. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they have uh, what they refer to as seven synonyms uh, for God. Life, truth, love, principle, mind, soul, spirit, which are, um, which kind of sum up God. For most Christian scientists, uh, they wouldn't think of God as a person. Um, nobody would talk about a personal relationship with God. Uh, mm -hmm. God is, is 
um, more the, the principle governing all of creation. And, uh, and it's the divine mind. Mm. And man is made perfect by this divine mind and is still perfect. We just don't understand that. Mm. Um, so in Christianity, Adam and Eve rejected God's good rule over them. They rebelled, and that sin has consequences for all of us. We've all sinned. We're all rebels against God's rule over us. We've all contributed to just the deep brokenness in this world. Yeah. Um, and the consequences of our rebellion are physical, and relational, and spiritual death. But in Christian science, uh, they say Genesis 1 is true. Genesis 2 and 3 is a myth. And Adam is a myth. Um, and the problem isn't Adam's sin, per se, but it's the whole thought that he was made from the dust, that he was mm. material. Yeah. And Adam was put into a deep sleep, which indicates what they would call a hypnotized state of thought. And all of the problems of sin and disease and death, which come as a result um, of, of this hypnotized state of thought, people often call it the Adam dream. So the problem with Adam eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't that it disobeyed God's command and trying to be like a God, but it was trying to obtain knowledge from the material senses. Mm. So in, in Christianity, man's big problem is sin. But in Christian science, the big problem is a mesmerized belief, a hypnotized belief in a material existence. We aren't material. We aren't fallen sinners. We're spiritual and perfect. And, um, and because we're spiritual and perfect, um, and all that really exists are, uh, is divine mind and its ideas, then anything that Mary Baker Eddy didn't call good, uh, chiefly sin, disease, death, matter, those can't be real. They aren't real. Um, and, um, and so we are all in this world trying to deal with this, this unreal illusion, essentially. Right. So, so, so Tanner, what it sounds like to me is there's like a highly developed philosophy, right? And, and it sounds like it differs extremely from, from the Bible. So I, you were saying earlier that when you, grow, when you were growing up, you, you knew it was true and like this was the right way you know, to believe and understand the Bible, but it sounds like there's almost two different standards, right? So where, where did this philosophy come from? Where did, where did it develop? Because if we're taking Genesis two and three as a myth, and now we're adding all of these different things to the Bible, we, we see that it's in conflict. So how, how was it growing up in the Christian scientist um, realm? Did you have another standard to read alongside the Bible so you could actually interpret <clears throat> it correctly? Right. So you have the Bible and science and health with key to the scriptures okay. um, by Mary Baker Eddy. And you read those together every day and you read selections from the Bible and from science and health that are put together by an anonymous committee in Boston um, uh, every week. And, and those selections are read in the Sunday services. And uh, there's no preaching. It's just reading those, those selections that you've read all week. And from, from the Bible, you might get part of a verse um, or, uh, or 
disjointed uh, parts of verses, and that those are paired together with passages from science and health. Um, and and you read those in conjunction, and you wouldn't you wouldn't read the Bible alone on its own terms. Um, yeah, she called this book Science and Health with key to the scriptures. Gotcha. It, yeah. it is the key to the scriptures, which enables you to understand the Bible. Mm. And, you know, all, all the poor Christians out there, they don't have the key. Um, but Christian science alone furnishes the key in order to understand it. Yeah, so it's all the secret knowledge that goes back. You have to have this, the Bible, or do you have this, the special knowledge plus this in order to like that's the lens in which you need to read through and understand and, and interpret the bibles through this lens that mary baker baker eddie had all right so i'm going to leave it right there um again i'll leave a link for that entire video um there's a two part so i'll, I'll actually i only played bits from the first part but um there's a second video and i'll leave you both links um, a few things that stuck stuck out to me when I was listening to that. Um, first of all, this is a common tactic of a wolf in sheep's clothing uh, to say that in order to understand the Bible, you have to understand their interpretation of it. You have to filter the Bible through this something else. And it's interesting they use the term secret uh, knowledge, uh, the keys to knowledge or the keys to wisdom or, or, you know, whatever. It's a similar term that Kabbalah uses and the, the Freemasons and secret mystery schools use. Um, <clears throat> and then I, I think it's interesting that they consider themselves, um, everything is, we're perfect already, we're perfect uh, beings um, because the material world doesn't exist, but it kind of sounds like we're, they're calling themselves basically gods. Um, and I don't know if, you know, that's the term they would use, but when you call yourself perfect, <laughs> that's kind of, uh, you know, although it sounds like they believe they were created, you know, <coughs> um, but th those are some things that stuck out to me. Um, you know, there's, Obviously, the, all these different religions have, you know, their own uniquenesses. But as it was mentioned, there's similarities to Buddhism, which um, I'll probably get into uh, other religions that are not, that don't even consider themselves Christian and, uh, and, and get into those as well um, at some point um, in this podcast. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, but generally speaking, I've found that a lot of these, whether they're, um, you know, non-Christian occults uh, or cults or Christian cults, uh, you know, apostasies within, or at least uses the name Christianity, um, a lot of the uh, false doctrines are connected to Gnosticism which is the belief of the mystery schools. And uh, that's one of the, the, I guess, the themes in this podcast. Um, I'm sure that uh, there's, you know, um, you know, there's going to be cults out there that are completely different that may not have mystery school connections at all. Um, but that's kind of where my focus has been and what I've noticed, 
there's been a, a connection but of course they all have their uniquenesses as well so we have to keep that in mind and oftentimes we will find that those that started these movements were Freemasons or from a mystery school already um, but you know I didn't notice or I haven't found out if that's the case here um, but I have noticed it in other movements that that was the case but it wouldn't surprise me it, you know it would not surprise me if Christian science was started by um, you know by a Freemason or somebody in a mystery school um, so you know that's just something to uh, keep in mind in regards to to this movement I didn't know anything about this um, as I was looking at uh, I mean before doing this podcast as I was looking at Kingdom of the Cults this was one that stuck out and I read a little bit about it and I was like wow that's and then I looked it up uh, looked I found this uh, video um, that I shared audio from and um, yeah d just definitely uh, connections to the mystery religions just very mystical and uh, the idea that we can become gods and uh, there was something he mentioned earlier which is a little unique I don't remember this in other uh, cults but where he talked about Genesis um, 2 yeah he believed it they believe in Genesis 1 but the Je Genesis 2 is a heresy or something um, in other words, that the Elohim is the true God and that Jehovah is a, a false God. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, I did notice that when I read some Hebrew interlinear that there's Elohim and then it says uh, Jehovah later. And when it adds Jehovah, and I think it might be Elohim Jehovah or Jehovah Elohim. Um, when it says Elohim, it says, and God, when it's translated, uh, and God said. But when it says Jehovah Elohim, it says the Lord God said. So I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm not sure the best way to do that. But of course, sometimes a different language will have a, a, a certain wording <coughs> that may not quite be understood in English uh, I don't know um, you know my understanding is that Elohim is a term for Lord um, because it uses that term for angels sometimes although I think it uses the term B'nai Elohim which is sons sons of of the Lord or sons of God um, and Jehovah is kind of more of a I don't know um, I'd have to do some more research on that but uh, that was kind of a different that was unique um, kind of a thinking there um, but also the dangerous side of it is that they look at the material world as non-existent like it's just our imagination so if somebody in Christian science is you know completely unhealthy or needs a doctor you know uh, they just ignore it <laughs> and uh, you know that's not not a good thing 
um, Jesus, you know, or the Bible talks about eternal life, you know, the resurrection, the, a new flesh. So the Bible at least seems to take, you know, call the physical world something that is important. I think what gets confusing is that the physical world is destined, or at least this physical world is destined for judgment and hell, and uh, it's going to be burned and there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. Um, and I'm not exactly sure how that will all turn out, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I believe that uh, when it talks about the, a new body and a new earth and new heaven, that's all physical. Um, now the soul and the spiritual world is, is very real as, as well. And how that all works out, you know, like some people believe in soul sleep. Some people believe our soul will exist in a waiting place until the final judgment. Um, and how that all, <laughs> that's all a mystery to me. Um, so anyway, that is, we're at an hour now, so I will um, stop it here and look, check out the links below and uh, have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16, 18. Pride going before destruction. <laughs>